Hey everyone, welcome back to Silicon Street, a podcast on venture capital, technology, and entrepreneurship geared towards college students and young professionals. Today we're really excited to bring RJ Gentile onto the podcast. After graduating from Boston College's Carroll School of Management in 2013, RJ worked at Raymond James doing fintech-focused investment banking. After a short stint there, he entered into the middle market private equity space, working as an associate at Flexpoint Forward, and then a senior associate at Summit Partners, where he focused on fintech, data services, and the e-commerce sectors. He recently became a vice president at another Boston growth equity firm, Providence Strategic Growth. We're really excited to have him on today to talk about some of his experiences. So RJ, how's everything going? Great, guys. How are you? Thanks for having me on. Awesome. So I think to start, first question, uh, you followed a pretty traditional path, um, you know, doing a few years in investment banking originally and then jumping to the buy side. Could you describe why you decided to uh, leave traditional buyout private equity to pursue a career in uh, growth equity, which is obviously a little bit um, of a kind of different taste of private investing? Yeah. Um, so uh, I, I, Built a lot of skills um, while at, at Flexpoint, which is a, a great fund based in Chicago. Um, it, it was a primarily um, kind of buyout oriented fund, uh, a lot of financial engineering, vertical expertise. Um, and, and it was a great experience to build the technical skill set, um, but kind of wanted to pivot for a number of reasons. Uh, one, wanted to get back to Boston and into the East Coast. Um, and then two, um, wanted to kind of try something a little more entrepreneurial while still staying in investing. Um, uh, and, and Summit was a, a great, great fit for me. I, I kept in touch with the, a few of the partners there and um, transition was, was pretty smooth. It was, a, looking back, it was, a, it was a great move. That's awesome. We'd love to that hear more about your specific experience at Summit and maybe some of the main lessons you learned there, um, any fundamental insights maybe that you learned as you, and, and that you learned and then took um, to now Providence Strategic Growth. Um, just, you know, anything, anything broad, um, you know, that helped in your investing career, but then maybe as a but then maybe also specific to their, uh, to their strategy and their way of investing. Yeah, um, for sure. So um, Summit is kind of one of the largest and longest standing growth equity firms. Um, they've been around for about 35 years and honestly kind of started the, the industry or the, the sub-industry um, alongside TA Associates, which is also based in Boston. Um, so I, I worked on their larger fund um, making investments anywhere from 100 million to 300 million of equity. Um, and I'd say that uh, it was a spectacular uh, place to um, learn how to be a growth investor and think entrepreneurially. Um, they primarily back founder-owned businesses that haven't raised a lot of capital. Um, and so to, to interact with and impress and, and convince those sorts of people to work with you, you um, have to build a certain skill set around uh, being creative, um, thinking from a forward-looking perspective, and 
kind of while while getting all your questions answered, uh, be able to like be able, build real relationships. So um, I'd say that that kind of the cornerstone of what what Summit does and um, learning that skill set has I would hope helped me to progress throughout my career and realize what what are the most important things that um, to, to figure out when you're looking at a potential investment. Um, it was also a great place to uh, learn how to um, uh, pick up on industry trends, um, go two to three layers deeper on those, those movements in different markets and um, kind of really drill into ways that you can make a preemptive um, bet on a sector um, and, and find and, and build relationships with the entrepreneurs that are helping to drive those trends. So it was, it's, it's, there's a lot of sourcing focus, which is um, so there in, in private equity, there's sourcing and then also execution. So finding deals and then completing deals. Um, Summit up and down the organization is all about um, uh, bringing, bringing in investments and and uh, working with entrepreneurs. So building that skill set was also really helpful in my, uh, in my opinion. And kind of in on the topic of, you know, building those relationships, obviously um, there's different structures to say like private equity versus growth equity. I think from what I understand, a lot of times private equity deals will often be kind of partner driven um, in terms of they're the ones like going out and finding deals, whereas growth equity, it seems like a lot of times uh, it's more um, like analyst associate driven in terms of going out and doing the sourcing and finding the entrepreneurs and then kind of working their way up the chain. I was curious how you um, how you were able to navigate like the transition from maybe a role that was a little bit more prescriptive, especially like banking obviously is, to something where, uh, you know, kind of the sourcing is in your hands and you have a little bit more flexibility in terms of how you go about your your work. Could you kind of talk about how you were able to kind of navigate that transition? Because it seems like the job description is a little bit different, even though maybe some of the financial skill sets are, are transferable. Yeah, so I'd say, um, I, don't know, I think it's a common misconception that I guess growth equity firms are a type of private equity firm. Sure. Yeah. It's, I would say all private equity firms sourcing is important. Um, you, know, you, you see these large deals announced by buyout funds and the like, and those deals are, are brought about by partners traveling, sourcing, building relationships. So yeah, I, I would, I would agree with you. Um, I think the the main difference between the two is that like like you said in growth equity, you're just starting earlier, right? And mm -hmm. so the the funnel of potential touch points is a lot wider in growth equity because companies are growing quicker, and so the the point of inflection happens earlier. And in order to build a relationship with a company that grows very rapidly you've got to have touch points on them very early in their life cycle and there's just fundamentally more of those businesses so like like you said in growth equity i think that at a younger age you get opportunities to 
do what partners do at buyout funds, um, kind of start much earlier in the process. So when you have a universe of, I don't know, 500,000 businesses that are doing between or up or on uh, more than 5 million of revenue, you just need more feet on the street to go call on those businesses. Um, it is, it is very much a different skill set. Um, you make a lot of mistakes when you transition from, I don't know, banking, which is purely execution focused. Um, those skills are like, pivotal to um, being a successful investor, but um, on the, yeah, on the sourcing side, you just kind of gotta, gotta have a personality for it. You gotta be able to be okay with making mistakes, sounding a little goofy, <laughs> uh, and, and, uh, talking to a lot of businesses that might not be investable for you at that point in time, but every rep is, is, uh, it kind of allows you to build your talking points, build your story show value um, and it, it kind of prepares you for uh, for the, the company that's exciting that you get to. So both skill sets are important. I think one, both come through practice and um, yeah, I'd, I'd say I was, I was lucky to choose the route that I did because um, I think the, the quote unquote sourcing side of things is rather important for uh, making your way to, to where you want to go. Mm-hmm. Being a partner or MD, at either a buyout fund, uh, or traditional private equity, or, or growth equity, or venture capital. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Especially, I've, I've heard this a lot. Is just like the soft skills become way more important as you kind of go up the chain. Uh, it matters a little less how great you are in Excel. <laughs> um, ah. But uh, Excel is always important. Yeah, no, it, it is. But <laughs> but I, I don't think I've seen a partner at like. Or like a MD at City, for example, like diving too deep into the Excel. <laughs> definitely not at definitely not at City, but definitely at every private equity firm I've worked at. They they can still get in there, which is uh which is, which is fun. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, to kind of piggyback on uh, you know, the conversation on on that a little bit. Um, obviously there's a lot of like growth equity firms out there, and you know, in today's you know, private markets, there's a lot of capital go to go around. Um, you know, as you go to talk to all of these, you know, different businesses, um, how do you try to like differentiate um, yourself and convince them to take capital from you guys? Um, you know, regardless of what firm you're at, because uh, I mean, obviously firms have different approaches, but um, it seems like, you know, the best businesses out there probably have a lot of options. Yeah, they definitely do. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's certain for we have ten billion dollars under management. We're we're investing out of a five billion dollar fund, but I so I think that relative to other five billion dollar funds, um, we'll probably uh, we'll have fifty portfolio companies there. Um, so. I think how we differentiate at PSG is um, we're really flexible. Um, and this, this is not unique to us, but um, we can write checks as low as 20 million. We can go as high as 300 million. Um, we'll do minority, we'll do majority. Um, where I think that our fund is differentiated is in that we um, we will work with smaller, lower, lower middle market 
software businesses that might not have strong or, or built out management teams, processes, functions. Um, and, and we help them company build, I'd say a lot more than other $5 billion funds. Um, so that, that's, a, that's a positive for us. Um, we've got 30 or so operators on our, our payroll that kind of drop in, help our companies. Um, but I, I mean, again, there's, this isn't 100% unique. Um, I'd say where you differentiate is your experience in specific sectors showing value um, and, and kind of showing the entrepreneurs the toolbox that you have. Um, we, we do a lot of M&A at our portfolio companies. So kind of tailoring the story based on that toolkit to the specific company that we're talking to is, is key. Because as you said, they can take money from anyone and a good business is always going to have interest from, from the market. Um, I don't know, in terms of me personally, um, I like to, uh, I find that it's helpful to have opinions one way or the other um, and kind of have a mold of what I, I like to see in a business, the types of people that you want to work with. And you know, half the battle is getting people to like you um, while you uncover and turn over every stone in their business, which is kind of their baby. So or two, two kind of binary things, making someone like you and finding out all the worst things about their, their baby. Um, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it, it all depends on the situation I'd say, but, um, that's the, that's the, how we driven value at our portfolio companies. So we, uh, we stick to what we know and are good at. That's awesome. Yeah. Just diving deeper, um, into your specific role at PSG. I know that uh, recently, you guys split off from Providence Equity Partners. I'm curious to hear more about maybe the different uh, strat the different strategies and opportunities that you've been able to explore um, now that you are your own group. Um, I'm curious in terms of maybe culture, if anything's changed. Just would love to hear more about that. Yeah, I don't think I don't think anything's changed. Um, and stuff has changed in the background and we'll get into those details, but um, I think it's a positive for all, all the people at the fund, all of our companies. Um, I think we've been able to um, be successful over the years and our, our growth kind of reflects that. Um, in, and so I think our culture is still very much, um, very much PSG, which is about the utmost importance to us. Um, I think I think that um, if anything, we're kind of betting on ourselves and and what we can accomplish and do in the future. And so, um, yeah, we're 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 all excited about that that future. That's awesome. It's great to hear. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier a little bit about you know the soft skills of understanding and unpacking, um, you know whether or not there's a potential fit in a relationship with an entrepreneur or a management team. Um, could you just exp uh, you know, explain more about how you look at an investment um, beyond that in terms of maybe some fundamental attributes of a, of a good investment that you've seen um, in, in your investing experience? Yeah, I mean, each end market is different, right? Um, well, all, all we do is software investing. So B2B software and data. Um, so I don't know, there's many, 
I think there's different answers for different folks. Um, but the core of you know, what what we try to to do, or I guess I'll talk about me personally, um, not the fun, but um, I try to look for companies that are operating in big markets with a, a good product that um, are at somewhat of a point of inflection, whether it be in the market structure or the company's life cycle, um, in that if we can bring resources to bear to help them in that pivotal moment, whether it be internal, external facing or both, um, they, they can unlock value such that they don't have to grow faster than the market or, or take, take market share um, is a better way of, of saying it. So good fundamental product, um, good market, and then um, good, good team with good, good leadership capabilities and raw talent if they haven't run businesses before. Um, but also um, kind of a, a wherewithal to know when they're over their skis and when we might want to collectively bring in um, someone that would, would uh, push the business forward um, and grow value for, for the founders and, and us. Um, how that pulls through in, in, in diligence is, uh, I won't get too far in the weeds here, but um, strong retention rates, so how, how their customers think about them, how likely their customers are to leave, buy more from them, um, how scalable their businesses are. So um, what, what percentage of every dollar uh, turns into to contribution margin so, and cash flow. Um, so gross margin uh, is, is really important to us. Um, and then kind of also momentum. Um, so how, how quickly is the business accelerating? Um, all, all these questions are really tied to um, how good is the product? Um, is it going to be difficult to sell? Then there are there a lot of people to sell it to? That's the way that I kind of think about it. Yeah, absolutely. And obviously those are pretty broad um, you know, characteristics for a good business, especially in the growth equity space. Um, but I'm curious how you guys, um, you know, yourself as well as PSG go about thinking about the types of companies that you want to invest in. Obviously, you guys focus on software, um, but is there any kind of additional thematic work that you guys do potentially along different verticals within, you know, software that you want to invest in? Um, we recently had a podcast with a partner at Sixth Street, and he just talked about how um, every single thing they do, everything they invest in is based on a theme um, that they've kind of, you know, built out beforehand, and then they go search for investments along that theme. I'm curious how you guys think about, um, you know, what companies or what, you know, verticals you want to target. Yeah, um, I'd say... The underlying market is growing quickly. It's probably a sign that um, the picks and shovels, so software tools, data behind those end markets is probably enabling that shift. Um, mm -hmm. So I mean, I'll talk for myself. Um, an obvious one is e-commerce. Um, e-commerce has been growing uh, 18 to 20% 
um, year over year, yet it's, it's only still, it's only 15% of total um, retail spend. So there's a lot of good trends in, in e-commerce and um, there's a lot of people that are lagging technology adoption and, and uh, forward thinking in technology adoption. And so you could, software businesses are better serving the people who need to catch up and they're, they're serving the people that are, are leading. Um, they're a, kind of a, a, a stimulant for that, that growth of those, those market leaders. Um, so that's an end market that, that we like. Um, we, we like, or I, I, I am a fan of things that are tied to um, helping businesses manage risk and, and complexity in the, the global economy. Um, to think uh, bad actors are increasing and, and people are increasingly interacting in a digital world on their phones, um, et cetera. So I think that's a, an interesting sector. Um, we, we spend a bunch of time in healthcare, um, pretty archaic systems and multiple um, constituents in that end market. So that again, big market, right for disruption, um, difficult to understand. So that's a place that um, I think is interesting to, to spend time as well. Um, hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, no, no, that's very helpful. And I'm curious how you decided to, um, how, how you go about like getting kind of sector expertise in something and how important do you think it is? Um, you know, I saw that you have spent some time in your career on like FinTech and data services. Um, but I think on some of the podcasts, we've had some people advocate for going for more of kind of a generalist approach to things, focusing on like the, you know, finance fundamentals and just being a good investor overall. Whereas some people have suggested you should try to, uh, become an expert, um, or a leader in like a particular vertical, you know, somewhat early in your career to, you know, try to differentiate yourself. I'm curious if you have any thoughts on. Um, you know, that kind of debate. Yeah. Um, for most end markets, a fundamentally good business has probably 70% of the things in common with a fundamentally good business in another end market. Um, mm -hmm. I think that healthcare is an exception. Um, healthcare is don't ask me anything about uh, <laughs> healthcare services because I won't have an answer. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, I I would say in software, most businesses function the same way. Um, they're fairly easy to understand, in my opinion. And if if you can draw, I mean, the, the most important thing is showing value to the entrepreneur um, up front is that that's kind of how you differentiate. Um, and so if, if you can specialize in certain sectors um, when appropriate and build knowledge in order to invest in a fundamentally good business, um, I, I think that it's very easy to, not easy, but it's, 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 uh, it's doable to get up to speed, learn about the end market, um, and, and during diligence, you look at thousands of businesses each year, 
you just get smarter on those end markets, draw conclusions, um, uh, utilize pattern recognition, um, and you can kind of go from there. So it is, it is, it is, um, it is paramount to be an expert in the markets um, for your companies, uh, your portfolio companies, so you can better serve them. And also, if if you take interest in a market and think that there could be fundamentally good companies in those markets, learning about them is, is very crucial. Um, but I don't, I mean, there's some investors that, like I said, focus all their time on healthcare services and they understand how pairs work and they understand how healthcare systems work or health plans and, and the like. Um, there's people that spend all their time in big data. There's people that spend all their time in, in law, digital currencies, blockchain, all that good stuff. Um, mm -hmm. And there's there's no right way to do it. Um, but uh, but yeah, I think I think I I think where I, where I am right now is we we do all things software, and I've got five portfolio companies, and they're all in different end markets. Um, so I need to be smart about those end markets so that I can better help and serve them and then um, also uh, make new investments in those end markets because um, I like I would hope that we and I have a differentiated view on what what creates value within those subsectors. Yeah, no, that, that totally makes sense. I think we've definitely heard a variety of opinions on that. And but obviously, you know, as a software investor, regardless of the end market, you have to understand software well. And I think that's uh, obviously it's a growing industry. And um, a lot of, you know, people who listen to the podcast are interested in going into software investing. I'm curious if you have any, um, you know, thoughts on how to best learn about like software investing generally or the fundamentals of it. Um, like, are there any resources that you've used besides just working um, that have been like helpful to you? Because uh, obviously, you know, going through like a recruiting process is, you, they kind of expect you to know a, a good amount of stuff um, before you, uh, you know, can try to get a job in software investing. I'm curious, um, you know, maybe how you went about that and if you have any, you know, helpful tips for, for people interested in going into it. Yeah, um, information's everywhere. Um, so, which, I don't know, we're very lucky that regard um yeah <laughs> it's all about uh it's all out there so when when i don't know if someone tells says they don't know about in the market it's because they haven't really looked um so i i it's all about getting a starting point right mm -hmm. um so good good starting point is Honestly, there's there's publications around deal announcements. So there's one called Term Sheet. There's one called Thin SME. Um, getting the emails on those publications, they they announce deals all across uh, software um, services, data, etc., um, healthcare. So just just looking at those publications pretty much going to get an announcement about every subsector within software and all of those click in press releases have detail about what's what the companies do you could very easily in a week create a hierarchy of of kind of software if you will um and then all you need really need is google from there um 
you can see who those software businesses compete with. On the, on the, in the public markets, you could read public filings about the public businesses. Those have a ton of detail. I'm sure all of your schools have access to um, analyst reports for um, these public companies. And um, you can read about the end markets, and whether it be an initial coverage or initiation of coverage reports or um, recent analyst notes. So, and, and there's also a kind of, most companies will have white pages, content about their businesses, their end markets, links to Gardner, um, all, all that kind of good stuff. So, um, and then there's always like, there's always blogs and, and uh, people who spend a uh, surprising amount of time online writing about uh, different end markets. So um, it's, yeah, it's, it's all out there. And well, if you're interviewing and you have a, uh, very few people, I, I've done a lot of interviews of people. And if you can have a viewpoint, um, it, it's really differentiated. Um, so I'd encourage everyone to, not that my advice should be taken for anything, but um, putting a little work in is, uh, doesn't go once. Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's all about the starting point. It's actually kind of funny when I was starting to learn about growth equity, the place I came was actually this podcast, which is how I found the two Notre Dame students who, who founded it. Just a funny little plug right there. But to wrap up the main section of this uh, Q&A, we'd love to ask, we'd like to ask about, you know, if you have maybe a contrarian viewpoint in any um, specific aspect of growth equity, maybe that differs from your um, people, the people who work at your company or just broadly middle market growth equity investors, um, maybe something that you think Silicon Valley is wrong about or might have overlooked? Um, uh, I don't know if this is contrarian, but um, I, I think that there's enough capital in the, in the private markets to kind of sustain uh, the activity that we're, we're seeing, which is, um, which is despite um, uh, a lot of turmoil in the world um, and, and in the stock market. Um, like I said, I don't think it's a contrarian view, but it's good for future investment bankers like, like you too and <laughs> deal guys like me. But um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, I, so software investing is a good good spot to be in. Um, that's not to say that things are are soon to get a lot more difficult and complex, given everything that's going on in the world and yeah, all the uncertainty and, and sadness everywhere. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, I don't know. I, I think we're we're in a good spot to um, help companies that are pushing along. Uh, progress um i guess that's a little altruistic but <laughs> I, I do the job in a lot of regards yeah i mean i i totally agree too software software is definitely the place to be um but uh rj that kind of wraps up the, the main questions that we have but we uh we like to do these five rapid fire questions at the end that we ask every guest um so shoot for like you know 15 second answers um but the the first one is are there any books that you're reading or 
any you know book recommendations that you that you have for college students, young professionals? Uh, my wife and I are expecting, so I'm reading a book <laughs> on, on that. But I'm I'm reading uh, Obama's memoir right now. I just think it's an interesting historical perspective um, on his eight years. I'm also from Chicago, so I'm a Obama fan. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and I think in, an interesting book is uh, Sapiens. Um, I read that about six months ago. I think it has a lot of interesting perspectives around how we've all developed and how um, we're kind of not really hardwired for, for how we're living right now. And it, it, I don't know, for me, it's helped uh, frame up my perspectives um, as an investor. Great. And c- congrats on, on the... Uh... The expecting. <laughs> um, awesome. All right. The second question we have is, uh, are there any skills you're trying to develop right now or any areas that you want to learn more about? And it doesn't have to be uh, like business or investing related. Um, I am um, trying to be better at listening. Um, it's a very important skill um, in, in investing. Um, and uh, just knowing when to sit back and let people talk, um, I'd, I'd say that's a skill. And then uh, I'm also, I, I love cooking and I'm, I'm trying to cook more with, uh, with doughs. Um, so that's, that's an endeavor for the next two or three months. Great. Uh, the next one we have is, what's the most important lesson that you've learned throughout your career? Um, it's really hard to trust people that you don't know that well, but if you back an entrepreneur, you got to trust him or her to execute and do the things that you hired them to, to do and when in doubt, defer to them. Gotcha. All right. Um, the fourth one is if you could work uh, in any other kind of industry or space, uh, what would you want to do and why? Um, I would want to start a software business, um, or I would want to, uh, go to cooking school, be a cook, but not work in a restaurant because that is a harder lifestyle than the one that I've lived <laughs> in the last 10 years of investment. <laughs> yeah. Restaurant business is a tough one. Um, all right. The last one's a little more fun. Uh, you know, hopefully the pandemic's slowing down a little bit and everyone wants to, you know, travel a little bit. So um, if you could go anywhere in the world next, where would you want to go? I would go to the south of France. One of my companies is based there and COVID did not allow me to, uh, to go there. Um, so I want to go visit those founders on their home turf and uh, bring my, my wife. But um, might be a ways off with the baby coming. <laughs> yeah, south of France would be uh, would be a cool visit. They've got some some nice beaches down there. <laughs> yeah, but great, RJ. That kind of wraps up the podcast. We really appreciate you uh, spending some time with us and giving us your perspective on you know growth equity and your career. So uh, you know, really appreciate you uh, coming on. Thanks, Connor. Thanks, Chris. This this is great. Keep it up. Um, good luck with everything. All right, everyone, that wraps up our episode with RJ Gentile from PSG. 
If you're interested in learning more about growth equity, I'd encourage you to check out two of our previous episodes. First is Sourcing and Technology Growth Equity with Matt Nash from Silversmith Capital Partners. In that episode, we talk about navigating the transition from investment banking to growth equity and going from a largely prescriptive role to more of an entrepreneurial one. I'd also check out the business behind growth equity with Sean Cantwell of Volition Capital. He founded Volition Capital a few years ago, and in that episode, we talk about how he raised the initial fund, as well as how he runs his growth equity firm. We also discuss some of Volition's key investments, as well as how he tries to differentiate himself to entrepreneurs when they are seeking to give them money. So with that, that wraps up our episode, and we really appreciate you guys listening. As always, please feel free to email us on our website if you have any suggestions for guests or topics that you'd like us to cover in the future.